in the Word of God to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. A little bit cool this morning. Uh, we'll need to check out the heat. Whatever you do, guys, don't put that heat off today. Otherwise, they'll be lynching me. It's warmer up in that height up there because the heat rises, but a little bit cool down here. But we need to check it out to make sure that it's coming on early enough, uh, especially this time of the year. But anyway, keep your coats on if you're feeling a little bit cold. It's always good to do that. Matthew chapter 11. And these beautiful and familiar and famous words of Jesus, verse 28 and 29 and 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus had a shepherd's heart. The Bible says he saw the multitudes scattered abroad as sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion on them. But as well as having a shepherd's heart, Jesus had a carpenter's hands. And he literally was a carpenter. But figuratively, metaphorically speaking, he had carpenter's hands. He saw these people and they were loaded with grievous burdens too great to bear. And he wanted to offer them a better yoke, an easier yoke, a better way of dealing with life's problems and the weights and the burdens that come upon us. Now, these people in Jesus' day that he's addressing, in the context that he's speaking, uh, they were under three different yokes. They were under the social yoke of the Roman system. Uh, the Roman system was quite brutal. It was very expensive and costly because of the tax situation that was imposed upon them. Uh, the Jews, for that reason and many other reasons, absolutely despised the Romans because they'd made life so difficult for, the, for them. Uh, as far as Rome was concerned, Rome's attitude to any conquered nation was, uh, do us no harm or we'll do you no harm. Just pay your taxes, worship whatever gods you want, and we'll leave you alone after that. The trouble was they did not allow any dissension whatsoever. Any uprisings or dissension was put down with an iron fist. And they crucified tens of thousands of people because they were brittle in their administration. And so they were under that yoke of an occupying force that they absolutely hated and despised. Spiritually, they were also yoked to a religious system a religious system that they found just about unbearable. The pressure, the stress, the loads that was put upon these ordinary people by the religious establishment was absolutely awful. It was difficult enough even trying to keep the Ten Commandments, which are impossible to fully keep. But on top of that, the scribes and the Pharisees had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other man-made laws to try to fence in God's law and to try to keep all of these laws, I mean, just idiotic laws, 
crazy laws, but laws that put them under so much pressure. And so they were yoked to that particular system. If you read Matthew 23, which we won't, you'll see that Jesus in that chapter, he really, really hammered the scribes and the Pharisees. He really came out strong against them. Eight times he pronounced a woe upon them because of what they were doing to the people. The burdens, the religious weights they were putting on these people's shoulders was horrendous. In Galatians 5 and 1, here was a, a, a church of believers, the Galatians, who were in danger of going back under Judaism. And Paul writes to them, and Paul tells them, do not be entangled again with that yoke of bondage. She were glad to get out from under that yoke. Why would you want to go back to that? All that man-made laws that you could not even begin to keep. In Acts chapter 15, there was a, a case uh, with Paul and, and his evangelistic team. And they were getting people saved who were not Jewish. And then there were some those who were Jewish from Jerusalem, who had come out of the camp of the Pharisees, but who had got saved, but who still insisted that people to become true Christians had to keep that old law that they had come out from under. And this caused a whole lot of friction. And so Paul and his team decided they would go to Jerusalem and they talked this out with the apostles and with the leaders of the early church. And if you read that particular chapter, you'll see how Peter stood up. Uh, and Peter says, why do you want to put this yoke upon these people. Why would you want to do that? We're under grace. We're not under legalism. And so the people that Jesus is addressing were under this tremendous social yoke by the Roman system, this spiritual yoke, this religious system, and sinfully they were yoked to the old nature, to our propensity to sin. And that old nature... Uh, that's always in conflict with the world and the flesh and the devil that tries to, to crowd in on our lives, that tries to usurp its position and its place above our spiritual lives. And so sinfully, they were yoked to the old nature. No wonder Jesus had compassion on them. No wonder he wept over them because they were chafing under a yoke that didn't fit that they were not made for, that they couldn't carry. And they were hurting and they were crying out for help and for relief and for freedom. They were looking for a better way. They were looking for a better life. And so in the midst of all of that, Jesus offers this wonderful invitation. He says, come to me. Come to me. And if you come to me, I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, I make a lowly in heart and you shall find rest unto your souls. So he's offering a better yoke, a better way, a better way to carry the burdens of life. Notice he says, take my yoke. He's not saying that we will go through lives without any yokes. We do have responsibilities that we carry. There's loads to bear. There's tasks to perform. There's roles to fulfill. We have jobs, careers, marriage, parenting, which is one of the biggest roles and burdens in life, isn't it? Any parent would tell you that. And 
in spite of, as well as all of that, add to that our moral, our ethical, and our spiritual responsibilities, and our constant vigilance against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so there's all kinds of loads and responsibilities that we carry on a daily basis. But how do we carry those? That's the issue. How do we handle that? Is there a better way? Is there an easier way? Can the burden be lighter? Well, Jesus said that it can be. In Galatians chapter 6, by the way, Verse 1, it says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. But then, he goes on to say, Verse 4, but let each one examine his own work and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another for each shall bear his own burden. Is that a contradiction? No. There are some burdens that people can share in with you. That people can get under the load with you. But there are other burdens that you will have to carry by yourself. Nobody can carry for you that you will have to carry. So how are we going to handle that? It's wonderful if you're going through something and somebody comes alongside and somebody lifts up your hands and somebody encourages you and puts an arm around. But there's going to be times when there will be nobody. There's going to be times when you'll maybe not be able to tell anybody There's going to be times when you will have to carry that load. How are we going to do that? Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. What was Jesus' yoke? How did he carry his responsibilities, his loads, his burdens? (coughs) Remember that he was the eldest in his family. And we're not sure when Joseph died. Nobody knows. But it seems like that Jesus took on responsibility quite early in his life. Certainly he worked at his trade in the carpenter shop. And no doubt that was to feed his family, his siblings, and his mother. But not only had he that responsibility, but spiritually... He had the responsibility not only of his nation, but of the whole world. The responsibility of the whole human race was upon his shoulders. How did he handle that? How could he take that load? How could he bear that burden? Sometimes we find it difficult enough trying to bear the burdens of our own families. Can you imagine the weight of the world upon your shoulders? This is what Jesus had to do. So how did he do it? What was his yoke? A complete acceptance and submission to the Father's will. The great secret of the success of Jesus' life on earth was that he was completely 
yoked to the Father's will. He didn't do anything. He didn't say anything except it was in his Father's will. And that gave him the strength and the peace and the confidence and the ability to be able to carry the weight of the world upon his shoulder. He was yoked to his Father's will. Now, in Jesus' day, if you were yoked to someone, uh, very often a disciple was yoked to the rabbi, the teacher that taught them. If you were yoked to someone, it meant that you had become their disciple, as it were. By the way, you know that yoga means to be yoked, to be attached to something or someone. Now, we know that in the Western world, in order to introduce yoga to the Western world, what the Eastern world did was that they put a soft face on it. And they made it out that it was something that you did for relaxation or for some kind of light meditation or some kind of physical exercise. But actually the word yoga means to be yoked to. And it's not too long till you get into that till you find that there is something else behind that. There's a teaching behind that. There's a spirit behind that. There's an Eastern mysticism behind that that's in Hinduism and Buddhism. So don't in any way get yoked in any way to that stuff. Jesus was yoked to the Father's will. He says, I must work the works of him who sent me. My meat is to do the will of the Father. And as I has written, there's a discussion within the Godhead. Who will go for us? Whom shall I send? Here am I, Lord. Send me. Complete and utter submission to the will of the Father. And the more you and I are submitted to the will of the Father God, the more easier we'll be able to handle the burdens of life. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, he said. Become yoked to me. Learn of me. Watch me. Listen to me. And that's why it's important for us to read this book and to read the Gospels and see what Jesus did and see his attitude and see his actions and listen to his words. Take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy. Now, easy is not a good translation. Because unfortunately, easy conjures up an image to us that the Christian life should be one of complete ease. One that is problem-free. And there's lots of people who will tell you the Christian life is problem-free. It isn't. Those of us who have lived this life for many years will tell you it isn't. It was not easy for Jesus. There was nothing easy in his life. When he was one year old, Herod tried to kill him. It wasn't easy. All those 30 years growing up with his siblings. Remember that he had four brothers and at least two sisters, Matthew 13 tells us. Names them. 
And all of them, during all of those over 30 years, all of that time growing up, all of that time when he was the elder brother, all of that time he'd worked in a carpenter shop, and they watched him closely. And all of that time he lived a perfect life in front of them. And then when he, be, when he reached 30 and he launched his ministry and he saw the signs and the wonders and the miracles, they even saw him raising the very dead. And yet for all of that, in all of that time, they did not believe him. They would not accept that he was the Messiah, that he was their Messiah. And he had to bear that. Some of you may be struggling within your family relationships. I don't know. Perhaps you are. It's not nice, is it? It's not easy. If somebody in your family doesn't like you, if somebody in your family does not believe in you, well, Jesus had four brothers and two sisters who did not believe in him for over 30 years. At one point, they nearly mocked him at going up to the feast. And yet he withstood all of that. It wasn't easy to be rejected of men. It wasn't easy to get through all of those false trials he went through. It wasn't easy when they whipped him and they beat him and they smote him and they plucked out his beard and they stripped him naked and hung him on a cross for all to see. It wasn't easy. But he handled it all. He took all of that, all of that burden, and he carried it for us. The Apostle Paul, nothing easy but his life. Second Corinthians chapter 11. He gives us a little insight. He's saying here that he has to boast a little to these people, which was foolishness, he said. Uh, these were people that he loved, people that he had won, and yet when he was away from them, and others come in uh, with great letters of so-called commendation, and then they start to turn against Paul. And they start to listen to these other people. And so he writes to them. He says, are they, verse 22, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? Then he says, I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequently. In deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often in perils of waters. In perils of robbers. In perils of my own countrymen. In perils of the Gentiles. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, and besides the other things, that which comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. That's some list, isn't it? That's some burdens to bear. No easy route there. Sure there's not. Sure there's not. 
And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, just over the page a little bit, Verse 4, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God, in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and a good report, as deceivers yet true, as unknown yet known, well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. And he's not finished in chapter 4, just across the page. Verse 7, he says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We're hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh, is working in us, but life is in you. And so here are we. Something happens to us. And we say, God, why did this happen? And God, I don't think you love me anymore. God, I'm not even sure if I believe in you anymore. Hmm? Is that bearing a burden? I don't think so. In the light of what Paul went through, in the light of what Jesus went through, somehow our problem may seem a little small. <clears throat> surely, if they could bear all of that, surely we can bear what we have to bear. I think so. I think so. I think if we submit to the Father, I think if we lift our heart up to God and say, God, I know that you're with me in this. I know you're going to help me through this. I know you're going to give me the grace to do this. It's amazing what you can do with the grace of God, with the help of the Lord. The word easy, I said, is not the best word to use there, a better word is suitable, fitting. Something that's suitable and fitting. Over 40 years ago, well over 40 years ago, one of the jobs I had was in a, was in a building site. I was a, a builder's laborer. And my job was to supply the bricklayers with mortar and bricks. And all day long, you were doing that. And you were carrying bricks on your shoulder in a hod. Do you know what a hod is? A hod is a, an implement which, I don't even know if they use them anymore, probably it's housed today. It was an instrument that was kind of V-shaped with a closed end and an open end. And it was on a shaft. 
and you put a dozen bricks in that or a big pile of mortar and you put it on your shoulder and you climbed up a ladder onto scaffolding and you emptied it and you down again and you did that again all day long. I was as fit as a butcher's dog. I couldn't even lift an empty hod today. In those days, I could have come home after that and dug the garden. Felt great. Couldn't even dig the garden now without doing all that. But anyway, the first hod I had was a wooden one. The big, thick wooden one. The weight of that alone was as bad as the bricks before they put the bricks in it. And especially when it got wet and it got waterlogged. Boy, that thing was heavy. And then after that, it was great because what came after that was an aluminium hod. Good, thick, great aluminium, but very, very light. And that, and that was wonderful to get an aluminium. I mean, you had to guard that thing with your life because somebody would want to steal that on you. And it was great. It was so light to be able to do. And we thought that was wonderful until a plastic hod came along. And it was the best. It was the Rolls Royce of hods. It was wonderful. It was so light. It was brilliant. Didn't get waterlogged, and you could have used it. It was just great, so it was. Made the burden a little bit lighter. There was the same burden. There was the same load in the wooden one, in the aluminium one, and the plastic one, but the plastic one made that burden a little bit lighter. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And the Lord can help us carry the loads of life a lot easier. It'll be a lot lighter with his grace and with his help. Take my yoke upon you. Take it, he said. This tells us three things. First of all, it's a voluntary yoke. Matthew 23, it says, For they, the Pharisees, they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves would not move them with one of their fingers. The scribes and the Pharisees came along and they just loaded the average person with all these religious, legalistic rules and regulations that were totally man-made and they put them on their shoulders. And the people were weighed down with them. Couldn't carry them. 1 John 5 and 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. In fact, Psalm, Psalm 19 verse 11 says, And in keeping of them, there is great reward. If God asks you to do something, he'll give you the grace and the strength to be able to do it. He's not asking you to do it in your strength. He says, come to me. Learn of me. See how I do it. And I'll give you the grace. And I'll give you the strength to be able to handle it. So whenever God comes to us and he challenges us, in our lives, to do something for His glory. It may be something that we, it may not be big in itself, but to us, it seems big. To us, it seems, boy, this is much. But then He gives you the grace 
and he gives you the ability to be able to do it. It's like our children, you know, when it comes their birthday, it comes our birthday, they want to buy us something, and then we give them the money to buy us our birthday present. God gives us the faith, he gives us the grace, he gives us the ability to carry the load. It is a vital yoke. No other yoke will fit like this one. No other yoke will make the burdens lighter. Now, whenever we think of a yoke, as I always say, we're always thinking of a a yoke for animals. But this is a yoke for a man. And Jesus, being a carpenter, had made many of them. And when he made them, he made them to the right dimensions, the right measurements, the right weight, so that they fit it perfectly. So there was a balance in it. They were perfectly balanced. You know that hod I used to carry? There was a balance in it. And you learned to balance it. You had to put your head against it on your shoulder so you could go up a ladder without holding on to it, so you could hold two hands going up a ladder. And after a while, you hardly even noticed it was on your shoulder. It was so perfectly balanced for you. And when Jesus gives us a yoke, it's perfectly balanced. It is tailor-made for us. It's a bespoke yoke for us. And everybody's different. And he knows what weights we can carry. And he knows the loads that we can take. So he makes a yoke. It's perfectly balanced to carry the life loads. It is a victorious yoke. Did you notice that twice Jesus mentions the word rest in those verses? Verse 28, I will give you rest. Verse 29, you shall find rest unto your souls. There's a restlessness in the hearts of men. There's a frustration. There's a disappointment with life many times and we get weighed down with the issues of life if only I had more money if only I had a better job if only my health was better if only my future was brighter if only all my dreams were realized and on and on it goes and if we had all of that then life would be so much better and there's nothing wrong with wanting fulfillment and contentment and enjoyment. There's nothing wrong per se in any of that. It's just that invariably we go about the wrong way to try to get it. The rest that we seek is not found in things. I was reading this week in the Daily Mail about several couples who had won big on the lotto. I'm talking tens of millions. And the several of them that had, they had been interviewing said it was the worst thing ever happened to them. Now, I'm not saying everyone that that's happened to says that. But these certainly did. They said we lost more friends. We found life more difficult to deal with. Many of them, their marriages broke up. Now the one contributing factor to this was that they weren't happy in the first place. They weren't dealing with life issues in the first place, but they all thought, if only I get the lotto, if only I win big, then all my troubles is over. It just made their troubles worse. 
It just exacerbated their troubles. The problems that was there that they weren't handling became ten times worse when they had the money. And there's always that danger. And so people say, if only I had this and only I had that, if only I had the other, then life would be so much better. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. The Apostle Paul, he's writing to Timothy, young pastor, and he's telling him about an issue in life in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And in verse 6 of 1 Timothy 6, he says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Somebody said when somebody died, how much did he leave? Somebody says he left everything. For we brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and patience and gentleness. So Paul here is warning that things in and of themselves is not the answer to the problems in life. But the world doesn't believe that. True rest comes and is found in Christ. I will give you rest. You will find rest to your souls in me. Isn't it interesting? That whenever God created the world, and on the sixth day, Adam and Eve was the final act of creation the jewel and the crown of all creation. And on the seventh day, God rested. Adam and Eve, in their first full day on earth, entered into God's rest. Entered into God's rest. And the rest was a lovely relationship with her creator, who came to talk with them in the cool of the day, in the beautiful garden, in that wonderful environment he placed them in. And it's only whenever they fell in sin that they have to go out and work with the sweat of their brow. It's only then that the earth came up with thorns and thistles and briars. And they had to work and work and work and work and work. One day you and I will enter into an eternal rest. 
That doesn't mean to say, as I often said, we'll be lying on a fluffy cloud. Plenary harp. There'll be lots to do. But we'll be doing it in God's rest. In God's peace. With God's ability. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So let's enter into God's rest today and trust Him and believe Him. Whatever load that you're carrying today, believe and trust Him to give you the ability and the grace and the faith to be able to carry that victoriously. That it doesn't crush you. That it doesn't weigh you down that heavy that you're broken. One old divine says, Lord, either make my load lighter or strengthen my shoulders. And he can do both. He can make your load lighter, but he can strengthen your shoulders to carry the load that you need to carry. Let's pray.